don't you just love it when things go to plan? When you're in a state of flow, when the magic happens and jobs get done. And the people who are good at this kind of stuff, they plan ahead. They work out what they need to do a day in advance, they make sure they have all the things they need to do it, and apparently they just power through things and tick things off. But in healthcare, you know one place that that's really hard to do? The emergency department. I'm going to hazard a guess that for clinicians that work in the emergency department, no two days are the same. Who knows what kind of issues patients are going to present with. But even in those fast-paced clinical environments, it doesn't remove the fact that clinical documentation needs to get done. Patient notes need to be typed up. Referrals and prescriptions need to be written. So to have any chance of doing things in the ED well, you're going to want to have an efficient way to take notes and write things down. Like for example, with voice-to-text technology. So today I'm at Microsoft's office in Sydney at a breakfast event featuring networking and food, but also some great learnings and presentations shared by Dr. Peter Nell and Dr. Andrew Breyer from Mackay Base Hospital, who've implemented voice-to-text technology in their emergency department, thanks to Nuance and Dragon Medical One. I got to sit down with Peter and Andrew after the event today to record this podcast episode for you. You'll hear about how speech recognition technology is giving time back to clinicians, how the Mackay HHS has improved communication between healthcare professionals using voice-to-text tools, and plenty more too. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech audience survey. This helps us prioritise content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or ten minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode or just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey. Great to have you here for the for the podcast. I heard you both uh, in the room earlier here at Microsoft talking about uh, Dragon Medical One, but firstly, set, set the context for, for those checking out this podcast episode. Who am I talking to? Uh, Andrew, I might start with you. Hi, I'm um, yeah, Dr. Andrew Breyer, I guess. I'm a specialist emergency physician. I'm based in Mackay. Um, I've been back there for five years as a consultant, but I've actually done 75% of my entire medical career up in Mackay. I've had to flit around to some other bigger hospitals. Um, but yeah, I've ended up back in Mackay. That's where my wife's from, where um, we've got our family set up. So no, no plans to move anytime soon. Um, and no, I love the work there. It's a proper mixed general ED. So we never go on bypass. We take all acuities, all ages, all genders. Um, and because of our large catchment area and um, sort of well, being a long way from tertiary level help, we manage high levels of trauma and that as well. So it's, it's a very interesting and, and very rewarding job I do. I love the fact that we can get you know, the, the time from a, a busy clinician, particularly in an ED environment where we're probably arguably the, the most busy clinicians in the, uh, in the hospital or at least um, 
sense of urgency is really important. So I appreciate that you've been able to make the time and come down to Sydney and have a chat today. Um, but, but Peter, tell us about yourself. Uh, I'm Dr. Peter Nell. I'm also from Mackay. I'm spending the, the last 13 years in Mackay. Originally trained and worked in South Africa and see the light to come over to Australia and, and join the journey down under. I was originally the clinical director of emergency department. Uh, the journey we had was to put uh, Mackay on the map uh, through a few uh, different areas. And we did first uh, focus on get uh, the, our emergency department uh, accredited with ISOM for training. Uh, Interesting, uh, I remember Andrew as an intern through the, through the hospital. Uh, then we did move to a new, brand new facility, which is state of the art. Uh, originally been planned to go digital, but we missed, uh, that was a bit slow in Queensland. Uh, I was involved with the uh, rollout with Cerner product in uh, Queensland, uh, EMR, uh, in Mackay, the medical lead, and then also uh, involved with uh, a statewide rollout. My background is a rural generalist, so it, my speciality is emergency medicine, obstetrics, gynecology, and I play in the um, area of medical administration also a bit, a bit more daunting for me, but uh, I'm happy to play in that, that area. Uh, my, uh, I'm still working clinical, the 0.5 clinical uh, on the floor, and I feel it's important part to understand the digital journey uh, and uh, what is the challenges out there for our clinicians, but also uh, lessons learned, which you then can bring back and implement in the digital journey. Yeah, there's no better way to feel the problems firsthand, right? When you're when you're still keeping a hand in the clinical. So, and I hear many clinicians want to make sure they're doing both. Absolutely, you uh, learn to cry with your family and to laugh with your family, and that's how you build up respect and trust. Uh, and then uh, that's absolutely one of the lessons I learned uh, going through the digital journey. Um, lessons I learned very hard uh, in a sense that uh, a bit of duck and diving uh, when we did get the EMR in. Uh, so uh, very well remember that lessons. Yeah. And good support from interns, no doubt, as well. Oh. So there you go. <laughs> We're on a very different system, <laughs> as in paper and yeah, for right. a lot of it. And, yeah. and, and on that point then, because we're talking about different technologies, you spoke about digital journey through Mackay, and today we're talking about speech recognition or voice-to-text and, and some, some technologies in that space. Peter, tell us a bit more about the journey of implementing some of this technology in Mackay. As I say, you know, I did learn, take the lessons away from what I learned through this EMR implementation. Mackay is unique, it's regional, but it's got also about five to six generations mm. of clinicians there. So how do you uh, plan for a generation which is close to retirement versus the new generation coming in? Uh, and I did definitely learn the lesson there and bring it back, uh, speech recognition. What can it benefit uh, all of uh, uh, the clinicians. And I did focus specifically on the seniors because they're the ones who is the influencers. They're the ones who are the role models mm. uh, for our new generation coming through. Uh, and that's the ones who really adapt. If they see a senior clinician can use it, why can't I use it? Yeah. At the same time, I did focus on create a bit of a competitive model there mm. uh, and myself is very competitive I was always with EMR uh, I, uh, not one of the fastest typers so I had to adapt how you use the system 
so they can compete with this uh, fast typing young generation mm. who's looking around while they're typing and I'm sitting there focused on the screen. Mm. Uh, and that's when I realize uh, DMO bring a complete new uh, concept to the table. It will benefit um, uh, everyone. Uh, you know, the fast typers is only a small percentage of, of the fast typers, but even them could benefit of it. Uh, so that was my first focus, it, how can it reduce time in um, uh, the document and the record. And as we roll out, we realized this is not the only benefit mm. we had because there is so much benefits coming out of it. It's interesting that you, you, you know, clicked into the point around typing speed and you know there's so many things for a clinician to learn to be a good clinician not not just to become a clinician in the first place but to you know maintain a, a, at least a, a semblance of you know relevance on a day to day always new information but if it means then they're spending a lot of time trying to work out the tools or just being being held back by things like typing that feels like a bit of an unfair you know advantage so having some technology to be able to empower clinicians and, and, and kind of get over that hurdle must be pretty important. It's very important. Uh, the light bulb moment for me was when I was t dying, doing the typing test. So we did require every clinician who come for training need to do a typing test. Mm. Uh, typing there away at uh, 26 to 30 words per minute. We were index two index fingers two, as well. Two yeah. index fingers looking at the screen. <laughs> you can get pretty fast uh, like that. Yeah, and yeah. the fingers start, uh, yeah. you know, fumbling around and start sweating. And uh, after the minute, I look at the notes and I go, whoa, there's mistakes. Yeah. What does my note really tell me? It, I can't read the story. Mm. Then we'd start doing DMO training. And specifically, it comes out beautiful. No spelling mistakes, no grammar mistakes tells the story, the narrative is so good, uh, and I compare it to and say, well, I don't want to put my name on that other other yeah. notes I had versus the one now, mm -hmm. uh, I could immediately see the reduction of time for clinicians. Yeah. And, you know, we've spoken a bit about the benefits for a clinician, and there's there's, there's many more that, that one could, could think about there too, but I think you touched on as well that there's benefits not just for clinicians in having some of this technology, but also for patients as well? Absolutely. For clinicians, the other benefit was releasing time. So you can spend then at the bedside with your intern, do assessments with, with the intern. So release and support that uh, intern mm -hmm. or your other PHOs. The other benefit I've seen was for your nursing staff. They just feel supportive all the time. If you can look up and see they've upset, you walk to them and said, can I help you uh, with something? They feel so much support, supportive mm -hmm. there. For the patients was absolutely the effect uh, you've got clear notes there uh, in the patient journey. It's the patient safety uh, and specifically around handover between clinicians. Uh, the story is in front in real time. If you do your notes uh, five minutes before handover and the next clinician can see that note. So that's, it's absolutely helpful for the patient on this journey. They can quicker uh, get to the end of disposition. Yeah or going home, and the next patient can be picked up. Andrew, I want to go to you for a second because, you know, you're in that busy ED environment day to day, and we're talking about using speech recognition technology, which for some people might be quite different to the way they do things now. And when I think about doing something different to how I do it now, it sounds a lot slower, like that learning curve to kind of pick it up. How did you find, firstly, that kind of shift from 
doing stuff the old way to doing what you're doing now. Yeah, so I can see exactly why you think it it might be slow because I originally thought that mm. as well. I was highly sceptical um, that this technology actually had a place in a very busy and very noisy emergency department. Because yeah. um, it's fine if you're sitting at your desk and yeah. you can talk to your computer and be yeah. like, hey, yeah, and I had handy, it, it, it yeah. wrote down the thing, but you're moving around, you're, you're doing I, I was reluctant, and um, when the when I first got invited to be part of a pilot project, I didn't really engage with it that well. Yeah. My microphone um, sat in my locker for the first week or so, and then really I just like, oh, well, I've said I'm going to do it, so I have to give it a go. Yeah. And within, like, even that first shift that I did it, I was quite intrigued. I certainly was not any slower mm. um, just using the voice-to-text functionality and hadn't even unlocked some of the things I'm doing. Within a few shifts, I was addicted to it, and now I'm just fully dependent on it. That's interesting. You've gone from just this is a handy tool to have to, to being totally dependent on it. Why do you say you're dependent on it? Well, I just know that where I'm sitting now, I'm a far more efficient clinician than I was two years ago. Mm. Um, before I was using that. So if I was to have that taken away from me, I would just realise I am not doing the job that I'm capable of doing yeah. in terms of efficiency and and my, um, I guess, my pride in my work and that would suffer. Yeah. Something that you mentioned that I thought was really interesting and something I'd even love to be able to do, not as a clinician, is make use of, I think you call, called it unusable time. Um, Unpack that a little bit for me and talk to me about what you, what you meant. Yeah, so in the talk I'd said there's um, two elements to unusable time. Um, so the first one is we have extraordinarily time-compressed moments. So very short periods of time, say maybe 30 seconds, 60 seconds or so um, between tasks where normally you would just go from one task to the next and um, not make use of those fleeting moments. Where So probably the best example would be um, during a busy shift when you're trying to turn over a lot of quick patients in the wait room because you have no beds inside mm. and then you get pre-notification for a severe trauma or resuscitation that's going to land in a few minutes. I can quickly eyeball one patient um, and then in the past I would basically say, yes, I think they need an actuator or I think they need some blood. Can you get someone to do it? Right. Whereas now, because I'm more efficient in terms of ordering, I've got some order sets that I can order quickly. So the x-ray will be done. I will order it. And it can happen um, before the next junior, well, the junior doctor picks them up. Um, I'll even have time to auto-generate a note. So one click on my microphone will open a note. I can insert a quick S-bar, navigate through that and quickly put down a plan in 20 seconds or so, sign it off and everything. So... We're making use of that time so that yeah. the patient is not sitting idly in the weight room. They get the x-ray, the bloods are done. But there's also communication to the junior doctor as what I'm thinking as a senior clinician, the likely progression for this patient is. Yeah. And I still get to the resuscitation on time. The other unusable moment is um, when you're on the move from one part of the department to the other. Um, typically, nothing happens in terms of doing work in that time. Mm. So I use my microphone it's plugged into my mobile workstation. And as I'm moving, say from triage to resuscitation or from the acute area down to um, the handover room, I can keep dictating notes. Yeah. Um, so it could be that um, quick S-bar I've done for the weight room patient happens while I'm moving to resus. Yeah. Or I've, I've literally done two discharge letters, so GP letters, while I'm walking from the acute area down to the, the back room where handover occurs at night. So it's less documentation I have to do at the end of the shift because I'm making use of those small moments in time.
The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help, yes you, to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or ten minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. Like I think about, might be showing... My, I was going to show my age. That makes me sound heaps old, but you know, like a little. So maybe ten. I'm, I'm sure it was about ten, like eight, ten years ago. I, I kind of gave a bunch of speech recognition tools a, a go, and you know, even these days when you play with Siri, Alexa, and uh, whatever the voice tool is on your just standard kind of retail phone, it, it doesn't handle too well with, especially when I sound overly Westy and Australian. It doesn't sound too, it doesn't do too well. But I'd imagine it wouldn't do too well with clinical stuff as well. But Peter, like in terms of your experience with accuracy and stuff. Uh, Brilliant. Uh, I was very skeptical about how will it uh, cope with my accent. Uh, Siri couldn't cope with my accent. Uh, Alexa and I were previously versions of Dragon couldn't cope. So I was very skeptical. And uh, within two, three minutes, I see, well, number one is, uh, it uh, understand my accent very clearly. You can train your dragon, so it can specifically in, in medical terminology train it to spell correctly certain words like rivaroxaban. Yeah. Uh, cabbage is not the cabbage we eat, but the C-A-B-G, which we mm-hmm. use for uh, in the heart conditions. Mm-hmm. So it was really uh, astonishing to see how it trained as well as it remembers. So next time when you use it, it's coming out, out uh, beautiful. Yeah. I tested in a noisy environment with uh, next to kids uh, screaming and yelling. It uh, no no problem with it. It still recognizes it. During COVID, I completely recognize it under your mask with your facial screen. You can use it with your Apple AirPods uh, as long as it is on noise cancelling, no problem. So advantage of uh, dictating anywhere, any any time, yeah. in real time, it's it's a huge advantage. Hypothetically, this technology now enables you to document so much more. Does that then create so much more noise in a record that then if someone went to go back and look at it, they'd be like, I don't even know what to look at because someone literally just told their life story into this file. Like, what have you found in terms of that's great that we can document so much more, but is that actually helpful? So still we're using a structure, a structure that we've been trained as medical students, Mm. uh, as uh, specialists, we use a complete structure. So it tells that story in a way and it's not jumping around between the structures because you think in real time exactly what you were doing and been trained. Uh, While if you're typing, uh, you know, that that is all over the place and then you had to go back 
and re-correct uh, it. Yeah. So definitely there's more documentation, but it tells a story. And remember, this notes is down the track. It can be used for legal cases for revenue, yeah. uh, revenue recapturing, uh, release of information to patients, uh, uh, police statements. Mm. So now suddenly I find it tells a story, uh, specifically if you had to go in maybe in a month's time or two months' time when you can't remember exactly anymore. You need to think about the case. What had happened that day? Uh, now when you look at your notes, oh, yeah, that's fine. Copy and paste or just mm. take your notes out there sure. exactly as you need it for anything. Yeah, yeah. I can expand yeah, you mentioned little, that in the... Yeah, yeah, I was going to expand on um, that question as well. So, yes, the notes are more comprehensive, but what, what I find is with... Um, and I think this will benefit the junior doctors, especially if they're working in, you know, under a sense of urgency and have... Um, some time pressures, they will probably generally just put down significant positives and they will probably omit some significant negatives. Mm. So say you would have a patient with chest pain and they would just say, you know, the location of the pain, the nature of the pain, other things like that. But it's just as important to say things that aren't there. So they do not have hemoptysis, they do not have shortness of breath, they do not have calf mm. swelling. And a lot of the time, I think significant negatives are lost, especially when they're under time pressure because they just think it's not there. I don't need to document it. Whereas I really need to know what isn't there as well as what is there yeah. to make a proper decision about what's happening with this patient. Not to get sidetracked, but I, I've, I've heard that discussion too, if there's clinicians thinking, well, and this is more relevant in, you know, areas where you might take a lot more images with, with your documents and with your clinical documentation and, and, um, maybe more so in the US or other areas where there's more litigation and things, but th there might be a concern from clinicians like, well, I don't want to document that because in the event I miss something, then I might get in trouble. But I think what you've, you've brought up some really good examples of you want to make sure you document things so mm. that if things happen, like yeah. you've got yourself covered. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely, uh, uh, i seen from my notes, which went to police statements, mm. uh, uh, the amount of... Uh, information there is what the police uh, need. I had a case one day when I didn't know they're going to come and ask the next day for a statement. And as they normally do, they did come and argue and said the doctor didn't document it. Uh, and uh, the uh, staff who was uh, tasked to release the uh, notes to the police said, did you read the notes? Uh, and they said, yes. And I said, well, the doctor said exactly in this paragraph and that paragraph, that mention that blood test happened, has yeah. been done or not been done and the outcome of it. Yeah. So uh, again, it's not just saving for us as clinicians time, it's uh, saving time for people down the track, your administration. Now I know we in EMR and not anymore writing in pencil hour. <laughs> no one could have read my handwriting and uh, there's probably a problem we're having with uh, electronic records as we de-skill to read, uh, be able to unclassify our clinicians' uh, uh, handwriting. Yeah. Uh, but now it becomes so better with the voice to text that uh, you do have a much better story to tell. Something I heard as well you mentioned, Andrew, was this point around timestamping and being you know, particularly useful in, in your day to day. Did you want to mention something about that? Yeah, so I guess it, um, it's sort of almost a flow on from doing documentation in real time. It's just really nutting down to exactly when something happened. 
So probably the, the biggest utility that I can see is um, in a very hectic resuscitational trauma case. So particularly if it was to go to a coroner's case and they'll be assessing um, exactly the management that the patient had rather than just a vague sense of this happened during the 30 minutes that the patient was there, they can see exactly what time it happened and in what order. Um, so the example that I gave um, in the talk I gave this morning was um, a medical resuscitation uh, for a patient who was found down in the car park um, just outside the ED. So we had no pre-notification, we had no team sort of set up and ready to go. So situations like that are certainly you know, pretty hectic and a lot needs to happen in a short period of time with a disorganised team. Um, but despite that, despite this patient having an extensive amount of work done in the first few minutes, so, you know, two IOs in and then IV lines and intubate and on the mechanical CPR and a multitude of medications and a, a VBG coming back, everything um, was documented like down to the second because um, we had a senior nurse running as a scribe nurse mm. um, for that one while I, read, I led the resuscitation and they used their DMO um, they'd set up one button on the microphone as a timestamp, so they'd hit that to the second. They would say adrenaline, you know, given yeah, right. second IO inserted, similar like that. So despite it being very hectic and no pre-planning whatsoever, that mm. still remains the most comprehensive um, resuscitation note I've seen in terms of the actual progression of events. Uh, you know, it's not just in the trauma way. We can see advantage in medical med course or medical mm. emergency course. Mm. Uh, I see advantage in medical or obstetric med course too, when you've got a really busy environment and mm. it's very important then to document the timestamp exactly mm. as it happened. So uh, a huge impact on uh, the, the nursing staff too. Uh, Post-resuscitation, uh, uh, I would say probably on... Uh, on average, Andrew, about 45 minutes, you sit there in the old days and on mm. how this time and this disagreement, I know this medicine was given that time, no, this one yeah. was given for. Right. Yeah. It's absolutely now you walk out, yeah. have a look at it, and it will take you about five minutes to reconcile yeah. the whole scenario. Yeah. Uh, where And uh, interesting, most of this type of uh, scenarios happen close to the end of your shift. Yeah. Uh, so that yeah. of course that clinicians uh, go home probably an hour and a half mm. later home mm. distressed because they also look that I done my notes correctly yeah. specifically if I know this case will get to the coroner yeah. and you go home and you don't sleep you come back the next morning so a huge impact mm. on the well-being of the clinicians mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's a big factor that uh, it will reduce uh, clinician burnout Cases like that as well, and it's probably a point that you were going to bring up, um, not only is it very sort of intense and hectic from the clinical side of things, but those sorts of cases also have, um, like, you know, maybe withdrawal of um, care or, you know, having family discussions about exactly, you know, how unwell their loved one is. Mm -hmm. And capturing that in a more narrative way and more prose, I think, is beneficial um, it feels a little bit more human than just putting down dot points saying, you know, patient's wife was notified of this and yeah. stuff. You can talk more on a human level, and I think that's beneficial. If specifically, uh, quite often the family will ask the release of the information of the notes later on just to get closure about the case. Uh, and now when there's a more narrative and better compassion written in it, uh, that definitely will reduce anger, 
mm. for a patient's family as well as uh, help him to close the book, close cl get closure of the case also. Mm. Yeah, I've not I've not considered that whole point around you know the the waiting on those notes from a patient's point of view. Obviously, the the patients and carers have, have rights for, to to access that information and. You know, we're long gone of the days where, where clinicians would take you know, secret notes about patients, about what they really thought and all that kind of stuff. And that's that's not how health care should be delivered. It's uh, it's about the humans, it's about, mm. about, about having that human care. Um, gents, I feel like we should have, we could have this chat for another hour or two. But but to, to tie back to one of those points, I think you just called on really um, early on, Peter, about your own experiences of implementing technologies, I guess, for health systems, hospitals, even just people in a clinical setting looking at implementing technology, particularly speech recognition technology, any advice you can give? I know you mentioned at the start, you know, engaging those those influential clinicians up front, getting their buy-in. Is that some of the themes there? Uh, it's absolutely... Uh, I uh, did review the lessons learned and then I did realise one of the missing parts of a success of a pilot is that uh, it needs to be driven by the clinicians. It needs to be believed by the clinicians. So many pilot programs we've done in hospitals and implemented patient flows, and you wonder why didn't it work? It's because it's not driven by a clinician. So we just really focus on uh, the clinicians. Who's your influencer? Who can change the journey? And who's the mentor in the hospital? Uh, who's, uh, who's the junior doctors looking up? Who's their role models? Mm. Uh, so I did use it very effectively in DMO pilot, and I did get the advantage out of it. And I would be advised uh, any facility to implement DMO, you need the clinicians to drive it. They need to be the leaders in it. Otherwise, you will not be a success. If you let the unfortunate administrator do it, yes, they're good by uh, oversight of the project, but it needs to be uh, sell by the clinician. He needs to drive it. Uh, in comparison, and it was for my eye-opener when I look back at photos uh, when we did go live with EMR. They said clinicians, they slamping, jumping on chairs, throwing keyboards around. Now, when I look at after DMO enough, we've got a set of photos. Everyone is smiling in that photos. And that was for me, wow, that's a happy clinician. <laughs> <laughs> Must have got extra pizza. What is it? They get the pizza out and everyone's happy. Is that... yeah. No, no, but you're right in terms of engaging those stakeholders and yeah. getting, getting involved. Uh, absolutely engagement by the clinicians mm. and that including uh, your medical and nursing staff. And we that went now further with allied health and interesting psychologists was really engaged and drive it in the mental health area. Uh, we that thought the... Uh, the uh, mental health clinicians, medical will drive it. Uh, but when we did go out and get the combination of psychologists and your psychiatrist, the psychologist was driving it tremendously because they take very, uh, about up to three hours to do a comprehensive report. Yeah, right. Now they do it within 45 minutes. Uh, so that's magnificent. But that message that changed how mental health clinicians start working mm. too. Mm. Any other thoughts, Andrew, from the front line? Oh, well, I guess just what Peter had said, like clinicians driving it and being sort of um, the influencers in a way. I guess this podcast could perhaps act as a vehicle to maybe let people open, you know, be a little bit more open-minded about it because um, I never actually envisaged myself as being an influencer in that way. I really thought it had no place in the ED. Mm. 
Um, and I really just gave it a go to as a favour to a friend in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like like I've said to many of people, I'm now dependent on this technology. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if anyone is listening here and they seem sceptical about it, I think just give it a go. Give it a crack. You, yeah. <laughs> you might be very surprised about how quickly it improves your clinical practice. And again, you can become the role model for the juniors and then drive it within your own health service. It's a great message for any technology implementation, yeah. So, Andrew, you never did realise why did I choose you uh, yeah. initially. Yeah. <laughs> so I did delib deliberately take five people uh, into the ED, and specifically that was one of the reasons. Who's the influencer? Who's the mentor? Who's the one who's the junior doctors look up? And that's one of the things I did see, Andrew, is the, he's a mentor, he's in teaching involved, he's a young generation, uh, versus the old generation uh, again but if he makes a success of it then the rest of it so I was based my uh, choice of candidates for the pilot program on that yeah. uh, and it absolutely worked and that's one of the uh, ways to roll out any digital project in the, in the hospital. So I that thought you might have just seen how often I need to go to the coffee shop and try to free up time for me. So, yeah. No, I did gave my secret away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? There's so many great lessons and opportunities for other health systems around Australia to implement technology and, and voice recognition within their settings. Andrew, Peter, I really appreciate you making your time uh, after this event and your busy schedule to come and have a chat. It's been really valuable. Thank you so much. I think we just touched the, ice, the tip of the iceberg so far of yeah. voice recognition. It can do so much more for us uh, in patient safety, patient care, patient journey, and for our own well-being. Yeah. I would encourage anyone to reach out to the digital team or if they even want to talk to me personally as my um my experience as a full-time clinician using this, I'd, I'd welcome. Care for what you wish for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, yeah. Jensen. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June, and I personally read every submission. In fact, if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks, and I'll even buy your coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.